back home again and I'm just standing outside my back door to record this, the last quarter of our four-part series on the combination confined to quarters. The other night in the third of the four programs in this series I spoke about equality and inequality and mentioned somewhat flippantly the idea that we're all equal before the coronavirus. Well, as it turns out, there may be some truth in that. It turns out the Prime Minister, as well as the Prince, have come down with COVID-19. It seems that even they are not immune. But of course, it's not really the case that everyone's equal before the, this illness. Not only are some people more at risk in terms of their physical well-being, in terms of underlying conditions, diabetes, asthma, other lung conditions, certain other impairments, or even just being older. But some people are going to find it harder to keep a social distance than others. These days, or rather these nights, I head out into the woods with Salvo, who's lying in the back garden right now. And we go off for a walk under cover of darkness and get our daily exercise in. But not everyone has a local wood to walk in. Not everyone can go into their garden the way I can. And I did for one of the other programs. Not even everyone has access to equal opportunities. The Prince and the Prime Minister had a bit of bad luck in catching it. So even they're not immune, but it remains the case that if you're wealthy, you're likely to be able to ride this out better than many other people. By the way, that's not Salvo barking in the background, if you can hear it, that's a, that's a dog from a different garden. So, if we're not quite all equal for the coronavirus, what about the law? We mentioned the Magna Carta uh, the other day in relation to the idea that we're all meant to be equal before the law. The, uh, being the, thing, the principle being that the barons made the king sign a document saying that even he was under the jurisdiction of the law and that they, if they were to be brought before the law, were to be tried by jury of their peers, their equals. But the only thing is, who gets to write the law before which we are to be brought? Even if we're tried by jury of our peers, whose law is it anyway? In the case of the Magna Carta, it was the barons. Uh, they made him King John sign of the dotted line, but you can be sure that if they wanted to make sure he didn't hold a whip hand over them, nevertheless, they retained the whip hand when it came to going back home to their fiefdoms and going back to their peasants. I'm sure they didn't go back to their peasants and say, right, guys, we're all equals now. Let's all muck in together. It would take a lot of centuries more of development struggle before anything remotely like that became true. So, but that idea of holding the whip hand, I think is a very important one. Where you don't have a democracy, it's the law of the person or people who have the whip hand that holds sway. It's the law of the ruler rather than the rule of law. If we're to have a democracy, not only must everyone be equal before the law, but 
for the law to be to be the law, it has to be achieved by equals. It has to be achieved by all of us as equals. It has to be established democratically. No one can have the whip hand. The law can't be laid down by whoever commands the greater violence. If I'm standing over you, and if I have a whip or, or any other instrument of violence, bodily or, or structural violence, there can be no question of justice because who gets to judge? Do I judge my own case? Of course I'm, I'm going to claim that my violence against you is justified. You, I'm pretty sure, are going to object to that and say, no, it's not. So then who gets to decide between us? It's only in a condition of equality and indeed of non-violence where no one has the whip hand that justice can be done that one can judge the relations between us a jury of our peers can judge the, the relations between us if we're to have a democracy we all have to have equal standing no one can stand above the other and equal standing in shaping and setting the law. If we're to have a democracy, the prince can have no more standing than the pauper. The billionaire can have no more standing than the bar staff. If we're to have, if we're to have billionaires, I'm not saying it's we have to rule it out, but if there are to be any, any it has to be decided democratically and not by the market. Here's the key thing. For 40 years we've been told you can't buck the market. You have to let the market decide where the resources go, where the wealth goes. It's much more efficient that way. And if you try to interfere, you'll only end up harming everybody. But as it turns out, you, you can buck the market. In moments of crisis like this, governments have to. They, indeed, the participants in the market, the traders themselves, are going to the government and saying we need you to help us. They're asking for help that only the government can give. Once you, once we get over this particular crisis at the moment, if we get back to, well, if, if we get over it, if we get back to normal times, normal inverted commas, the market traders doubtless will go back to telling the government, you know, oh no, no, you, you need to, to step out now, thank you very much, but leave the wealth distribution to us financiers and entrepreneurs. The only thing is that the normal times, as someone has recently said, were the problem. It was those normal times, it was that normality, it was that 40 years of saying that the market has to decide that led us to a situation of crisis in the first place where a crisis of inequality, a crisis of sustainability and now in the face of uh, uh, the pandemic a crisis clearly not of our own human making but one which many governments have left themselves ill-equipped to cope with precisely because they're so used to the idea that only oh, you can't interfere with the economy
but that's that's the issue. Once you allow the market to decide where the wealth and the, and the resources go, effectively you're allowing the market to decide where power goes, because wealth is power. If you are the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to be able to buy influence, buy influence with politicians, you give donations, they're more likely to listen to you, they're going to take your meeting rather than the meeting of the ordinary person in the street, they're more likely to lay down the laws and the rules in favour of those who are giving them donations. Those, the wealthy people, the corporations, the elite if you like, are going to use all the leverage, or leverage, I'm not sure how we pronounce it, that inequality gives them to be able to buy think tanks, to buy media, to spread their own message, the message that suits them. Oh no, you can't book the market, is the essence of it. And, you know, this is something that we've seen over and over, that uh, media, accumulation of media power, spreading the word that any talk of raising taxes is a tax bombshell and that it's going to ruin the whole country and you know this is uh, these are newspapers owned by billionaires and edited by multi-millionaires the vast majority of their readership are not going to be hit by any kind of a tax bombshell if for example the new threshold doesn't kick in till uh, 80,000 pounds as was the case with the, the, the Labour manifesto Yet to hear the some of the newspapers talking, you'd think every average family in the country was going to be hit by thousands of pounds of new tax. It wasn't the case. It was certainly the case that the owners and the multimillionaire editors were going to be hit. But the way they tell the story, it makes it look like we're all in this together. There's a, a resonant phrase which we'll, we'll be coming back to in a minute. So... If we go back to so-called normal, we're going back to a situation in which people with wealth get the whip hand over ordinary citizens when it comes to shaping the law of the land. Call it plutocracy, call it oligarchy or whatever. It's not democracy. In fact, democracy is not something we simply have or don't have. It's not something that we set up one day and then fold our arms and, and say that's it we've, we've done our job here it's not about passing a vote every few years it's something we're either moving towards or away from to move towards it we need to seize this moment and set down some markers when the chips were down the businesses needed the public the wealthy needed the public not least in the form of the public purse. But when the chips were down, the ordinary workers stood up and shouldered their tools and got to work, in many cases at great risk to themselves. So this is a moment of crisis. This is the second crisis within a little more than a decade. And what did we do the first time? We bailed out the bankers and we cut public services for the poor and we demonised immigrants. We're not going to do that again this time. Now, more than ever, 
We need to set our sights on building a polity in which we, you and I, whoever you are, learn to share this planet in a way that we move rapidly towards sustainability, non-violence and democracy. The other year I visited Athens just on holiday and if you go there, there's a hill just outside the city, overlooking the city. And at the top of that hill, that's where the people of Athens used to, to meet when they originally set up their democracy millennia ago. If you climb up to the, the top of that hill, the, you step in and the first thing you notice is that it's a big flat area. A big flat surface overlooking the city. So everybody who stepped into that would be stepping in on the same level. Everybody stepping in would be visible to everybody else. Outside that common space, you could have been a baron or a prince or a prime minister. But when you entered it, you met as equals on a level footing. No more, no less than a commoner. In that sense, I, I like the idea that our Westminster system, it's still called the House of Commons. It's the House of Commoners. And the price of entering into that democracy is to leave your weapons and to leave your wealth at the door. And that's why I think that non-violence, equality and democracy are inextricably linked. If you want the one, you need the others. Sustainability, well, as I said already, for me, the overriding goal towards which we must direct our efforts is to learn to live together for all our differences as non-violently as possible with each other and with the living planet. We haven't got there yet. We have to keep moving towards it across our lives and into the future. Beyond this crisis, there will be other crises coming. And if we don't seize this opportunity to build uh, a polity, a uh, political economy, that is based on sustainability, non-violence, equality and democracy, then we won't be in a position to respond when the next big challenge comes.